Hello, welcome back. If you have been listening as a faithful listener, and I want to just thank you for that. And if it's your first time here, um, I do want to let you know that this case will contain some disturbing information about child abuse. So if you are sensitive to that type of um, conversation, please don't continue just come back another time, although I don't know when I will have one that is not quite so disturbing. Um, today I'm going to talk about the murder of Dennis Jurgens. Uh, this case is a reminder of why we need to continue to talk about child abuse and domestic violence. Um, Dennis was born in uh, December 6, 1961, and he was an American three-year-old boy who was murdered in White Bear Lake, Minnesota on April 1965. So he was only three years old when he died. He was, um, Jurgens, little Dennis, was the only fatal victim of Lois Jurgens, who was his adoptive mother. And she was a prolific child abuser who abused a total of six adopted children from 1960 to 1975. The trial of Lo jo Lois Jurgens for the murder of three-year-old Dennis made national headlines and was the top news story of the state of Minnesota in 1987. This is one of the few crimes that the FBI agent Kenneth Lanning argues can legitimately described as ritual abuse. So, Dennis was originally born in Salk Center, Minnesota, and he was the son of a teenage woman named Jerry Sherwood, who was also a ward of the state, and she had a teenage boyfriend. So at the urging of the authorities, Jerry placed Dennis for adoption after being told that he would receive good care. Dennis was adopted by the Jurgens of White Bear, White Bear Lake, Minnesota, which is a sub suburb of St. Paul. Harold Robert Jurgens, a former band leader turned electrician, and Lois Germain Josephine Zerwas Jurgens. So she was a homemaker. Um, now, Lois had grown up in an impoverished family with 16 siblings, and it's believed that she used her marriage to the middle class Harold Jurgens as a means to improve her social standing. She had a pathological need for control over her environment and obsessively cleaned and tended to her home and garden desperate to appear the picture of a perfect housewife. In the, pre in the decade preceding the adoption of Dennis, Logan, Lois Jurgens had suffered bouts of depression and psychosis, including an extended stay in a psychiatric institute where electroconvulsive therapy was administered. So that's, that's shock therapy, ETC, electroconvulsive therapy. It's when they um, do a series of electricity to the brain to try to um, help in mental health. She was diagnosed as having mixed psychoneurosis and also unable to conceive a child with Harold. And this lack of being able to conceive has also, also drove Lo Lois further into madness as she felt the need for children to complete her picture-perfect life. So... Officially, she was forbidden to adopt, or they were forbidden to adopt children, owing to Lois's history of mental health issues. The Jurgenses managed to adopt a baby named Robert privately. 
And Robert fit in well with the Jurgens household. He learned from a young age not to get in his mother's way or cause uh, a, an undue mess that would likely send Lois into a rage. The Jurgens' adoption of Robert seemed successful in the eyes of authorities who began to consider the possibility that they might adopt more children through official channels. So just past one year of age, Dennis was placed in the Jurgens' home in 1962 in anticipation of adoption after spending much of his first year in foster care. There, he had been loved and well cared for by an experienced foster mother. Almost immediately, Lois felt a severe obsessive dislike for the child who was a normal, rambunctious, and spirited toddler, unlike Robert, who, in Lois's eyes, was the good son. Harold Jurgens suggested that perhaps they should not go forward with the adoption of Dennis, but Lois refused out of concern that it would discourage the authorities from allowing them to adopt further children. Within months of Dennis' arrival, he was rushed to the hospital with first and second degree burns on his genitalia, which were reported and accepted as accidental. The process of adoption, adopting Dennis was completed. Now, Lois had a reputation amongst her extended family and neighbors as an intense, angry warm woman with a short and volatile temp temper. But Dennis's arrival in her home provoked sadistic rages that targeted Dennis as he aged from one to three and a half years of age. Throughout the years of uh, frequent abuse, it was reported that while Harold Jurgens made little effort to curb his wife's abuse of young Dennis, he personally never mistreated the boy. In her effort to make Dennis right in her eyes, and we'll put that in quotation, that right in her eyes, Lois embarked on a series of sadistic and corporal punishments. Angered at Dennis for rejecting certain foods, she responded by placing horseradish on the food and then force-fed it to him. And according to reports from family members who eventually testified at the murder trial, Dennis turned purple from being force-fed the bitter and spicy horseradish and also having his oxygen supply cut off when Jurgens covered his mouth and nose. This treatment, along with the exertion as he struggled, sickened Dennis to the point of vomiting, which further enraged Jurgens, who then forced him to eat his vomit. Lois obsessed about Dennis's weight, which, according to medical records, was appropriate for a child of his aid and build at the point of his adoption. He was frequently starved to rid him of, quote, sloppy fat, as Lois called it, and she also called him, as a name, Sloppy Fat. Um, due to this frequent starvation, little Dennis only gained about three and a half, three pounds, he only gained about three pounds, sorry about that, in a two and a half year period as he aged from one year to three and a half years old. The coroner noted in his report that Dennis, Dennis had almost zero subcutaneous fat at the level of a person who had died of starvation, although that was not his cause of death. Aside from the incident when Dennis was hospitalized with burns on his genitals, there were many other incidents of abuse that fell under the category of sexual sadism. Lois's remedy for the toddler wetting his diaper too frequently was to place a spring-action clothespin on the end of his penis. The coroner noted that there was evidence of adult human bite marks on his penis and scarring all over his scrotum, he was also found to be wearing two diapers and a pair of rubber pants at the age of three and a half. So he was almost four years old and um, was still wearing diapers. 
Testimony from neighbors and family members told of young Dennis showing up to public events wearing sunglasses at the age of two to hide his frequent black eyes. In addition, Lois took to tying Dennis's limbs to the bedpost to keep him in bed and tied him to the toilet to force a bowel movement. So she had really great potty training skills, I see. By all accounts, Lois was obsessed with abusing Dennis, and she wanted the world to know that he was a, quote, bad child. She made no apologies about the inappropriate way she disciplined him. She considered herself a devout Catholic and believed that she was doing God's work by making Dennis, quote, perfect in her eyes. To this end, she forced religious training on her young sons and reports that Robert, Dennis's older brother, flawlessly recited the rosary at the age of two. Now, Dennis struggled with this training and was forced to pray and recite his rosary kneeling on a broomstick for extended periods until he did it correctly. To the casual observer, the Jurgens seemed to be a normal church-going family with a perfectly maintained house and yard. Certain neighbors and family members knew there were problems with Lois's treatment of Dennis but did nothing to prevent it. And this is not uncommon in this time frame. Um, people believe that those kind of things were private and you don't get into people's personal businesses. Um, another contributing factor to the lack of intervention on people in the community was fear of retribution from Lois, who was not above threatening the lives of her family members. And in the 60s, the term child abuse had not been a common term. It wasn't something that we heard. Not even medical professors and not even medical profess professionals and teachers were required to report suspicious um, things that they see concerning child abuse. Okay? So during the early morning hours of April 11, 1965, Dennis died at the hands of Lois Jurgens. The official cause of death was peritonitis due to perforation of the small bowel. It's not known specifically what caused the fatal blow, although the injury was later found to have been upon a reasonable doubt inflicted by Lois Jurgens owing to the evidence of her constant physical abuse. Along with the aforementioned evidence of starvation and the scarring and bite marks on his genitalia, the coroner discovered multiple lacerations and multiple generations of bruises covering most of his body. So what that means is that there wasn't just one incident that caused a lot of bruises. It means that he had a lot of bruises that occurred over a period of time. Um, the night of his death, a great flood had hit the St. Paul area and the Mississippi River waters were rising to record levels, causing flooding in the region and inside the Jurgens' home. Lois, who abused Dennis constantly, escalated to new levels of rage as the floodwaters filled her basement. The only witness to Lois's final abuse of Dennis was Robert, who was only five at the time. Many years later, at his mother's trial, um, by then, the 27-year-old Robert recounted the events of that evening, testifying that his mother had beat Dennis extensively and had thrown him down the stairs. Although there was an investigation, society and law enforcement of the mid-60s did not accept the concept that a child in a middle-class home could be the target of abuse. It would have been difficult at the time to prove that Lois Jurgens had committed murder. In spite of the extensive physical evidence pointing towards severe abuse, the medical examiner did not classify the death under any of the standard classifications of accident, suicide, or murder. He simply marked it deferred. There was also a great deal of suspicion surrounding Jerome Zor 
Zerwas, the brother of Lois Jurgens, who was a police lieutenant in the city of White Bear Lake, Minnesota, a common belief among witnesses and neighbors at the time of the murder and among the investigators who eventually reopened the case is that he interfered with the investigation and destroyed incriminating evidence. Although Lois was not charged with Dennis's murder, the death caused suspicious suspicions for the authorities to remove Robert from the home. He was placed with various relatives and one foster family for a period of just over five years, during which the Jurgens spent a great deal of effort and money attempting to regain custody. Initial placement was with a licensed, unrelated foster family, but Robert was then moved to his paternal grandparents at his parents' request. Placement with the paternal grandparents ended due to a house fire that occurred at a time when Robert was hospitalized with pneumonia and his grandmother burned to death. There's some suspicion that Lois herself set the fire, given that it occurred while Robert was hospitalized, and that Lois had been known to threaten burning down the homes of several neighbors and family members members who had spoken to authorities. Robert lived with other relatives, ultimately settling for two years with a distant cousin before he was returned home. Um, so Robert was returned home and going through new channels. The couple was eventually able to adopt four school-aged children from Kentucky. And by this point, Lois's rage and mania had gone beyond her ability to maintain a... Uh, sorry about that had gone beyond her ability to maintain an appearance of normalcy, and she and Harold had relocated to Stillwater, Minnesota, possibly to escape the gossip of their former neighborhood where Dennis was killed. As the new adopted children were older, there were many firsthand stories recounted to the media during the 1987 trial of Lois Jurgens, describing the severe abuse they suffered at their adoptive mother's hands. Beatings and displays of Lois's explosive temper were daily events, especially bad days. Could include her slamming a child's forehead into a nail protruding from a wall, forcing a child to stand barefoot in the snow, and shoving a used sanitary napkin in a child's face. Now that's just disgusting. During this period, Lois was once again placed in a psychiatric facility. Eventually, all four of the siblings from Kentucky and Robert escaped the home by running away and getting help from concerned neighbors. Their flight, coupled with lingering suspicions around Dennis's death, resulted in the termination of Lois and Harold Jurgens' parental rights. They, would, they were informed that they would not be allowed to foster or adopt any additional children. Okay, so in her late 30s, Dennis's birth mother, who was Jerry Sherwood, sought out Dennis in the early 80s, assuming that he would be a young adult and, as she had given birth to four more children with Dennis's birth father, might want to meet his siblings. Her search led her eventually to his grave, and she continued her investigation. Her continued investigation led to a phone call to Lois Jurgens to inquire about what had happened. Lois was cordial on the phone and even offered to mail some mementos. When those mementos failed to arrive, Sherwood again called, only to discover that Jurgens had switched to an unlisted phone number, further fueling her suspicions. Sherwood eventually located Dennis's death certificate. Because the death was categorized as deferred, the case was still technically open. This, coupled with the lack of a statute of limitations for a murder charge, could lead the way to a prosecution of Lois Jurgens. 
Jerry took her case to the White Bear Lake Police Department and then to the local media. The St. Paul Pioneer Press ran a cover story about the investigation on Sunday, October 12, 1986. Although the name of the adoptive family was not given, many suspected that the story was about Lois Jurgens. Sherrod's tenacity, along with the tragedy of her personal loss, kept the story in the public eye. Eventually, Lois Jurgens was arraigned, and her identity was released by the media. Jurgens' other adopted son, Robert, testified at the trial, at which Lois Jurgens, then, who was then in her 60s, was convicted of third-degree murder and sentenced to prison. The investigation, trial, and conviction are considered landmarks in the history of child abuse law. So, Lois served only eight years of her sentence and was released early for good behavior, behavior and lived a secluded life in Stillwater, Minnesota until her death in 1913. She always proclaimed her innocence. And Harold Jurgens died in 2000. At the time of his death, there was suspicion that Lois had poisoned him, but this was investigated and ruled out. So, there's a, there is a book called A Death in White Bear Lake. It's a true crime book by a journalist, Barry Siegel. It was published in 1990, and it recounts the murder of Dennis Jurgens. This is a sad story, a really sad story. I can't imagine being in the position of a young woman who's trying to decide whether or not she should keep her child and deciding that the best thing for the child, because that's usually the attitude, it was best for the child to give that child up for, for adoption. And then only to find out that that child was murdered by somebody who was supposed to love and care for the child in a way that you weren't able to at the time. It's really sad. Um, if you'd like to reach me or make any kind of comments or questions, you can reach me at isurvivechildhood at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Please stay safe. Bye-bye.